0: It's good to see you this morning. It's a beautiful day outside and, uh, and it's good to be together as a family. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian and I'm the executive pastor of Mount Hope and the teaching pastor here in Belmont. And I love to open up God's word with you and see what it is that God has to say to us. And like Andrew said, we're going to be in 1 John today, but you're gonna. this is one of those days that you're going to want to kind of Be ready to jump around a little bit, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. We normally like to park ourselves in one text when we preach, uh, but there's a good reason why we're going to look at a few different places this morning, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Before we get to that, let me ask you a question. Do you ever find yourself surprised by things that shouldn't necessarily be that surprising? Do you ever find yourself surprised by something that that really you should have been prepared for or ready for, or you should have seen it coming? Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, many of you know that that I'm married to an incredible woman named Lori. That's not surprising, right? We know that she's a, incredible. It is surprising that somehow I was able to, to be married to her. That is surprising. But two days a week, two days a week most weeks, three days a week sometimes— Lori drives into Boston in the morning from where we live in Burlington, and that is typically not a very fun ride first thing in the morning, as you can can guess. Uh, There's a lot of other people trying to go into the city uh, on, on that day. Now, I don't normally have to make that commute, but this week on Thursday, I had to make that drive. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I was psyching myself up and I was saying, I bet this is going to be the day. I mean, it's summer. I bet I bet uh, this is the day a lot of people are working from home today on a Thursday. I bet this is going to be the day that there's no traffic and I get in in like 25 minutes instead of an hour. And on Thursday morning, I, I shouldn't have been surprised. Because I, I watched my wife go through this routine over and over and over again, week after week after week, and yet I put it in the GPS in the morning, and I saw that GPS that said, you know, you have 12 miles and 57 minutes, and I said, oh, come on, and I, well, I shouldn't be surprised by that. It happens every single morning, and yet I was surprised by it on Thursday morning. I think sometimes it happens with, say, a credit card bill at the end of the month. You shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. I'm the one handing the card over, over and over and over again, and then you get that statement at the end of the month. I'm looking, I got Mr. Dave Ramsey looking at me right here. Uh, But, uh, you know, you hand that, you get that statement at the end of the month, and you say to yourself, how in the world, it shouldn't be a surprise that that's the cumulative amount on the month. You were the one handing over the card. I was the one handing over the card, but it's it's a surprise. The passage we're going to use to launch our discussion here uh, from 1 John is one of those things that it really shouldn't be a surprise, Uh, but but I think for me, and maybe for you too, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're sitting here this morning and you would call yourself a Christian, uh, there's something that John's talking about that can be surprising to us, but John says in the passage, it really shouldn't be that surprising. And it's right there in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. And at the beginning of this series, we actually said uh, for, to the church at the end of that first sermon, and some of you have done this, some of you have talked to me about it, we're encouraging you to read the book of 1 John or listen to the book of 1 John daily. And I'll tell you from me, as I listen, I often listen to the book of 1 John or as I read through it When I get to this verse in chapter 3, this verse hits me every single time I go through the text. And the verse says this. It says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And I don't know about you, but that's something that I feel day-to-day, and in fact, I see in, our, in the world around us, and yet it is something that when I encounter it, it can be kind of shocking. So what's John talking about here? The reason we're, we're going to jump around to a few different passages today it's because John, who, uh, if you're not familiar with John, was one of the disciples of Jesus. In fact, Jesus had... Uh, 12 disciples he had three that he was very close to and according to the text and according to john himself he had one disciple that he was closest to and that is john and john writes five books in our new testament he writes the gospel of john which talks about the life and teachings of jesus he writes three letters to early christ he writes four letters to early christians three are first second and third john and then he writes the book of revelation which talks about the end of all things And right from the very beginning of his gospel, and I'm not going to go there right now, but you could turn to John chapter 1, John starts drawing a distinction between Jesus and those who follow him and the world. So if you're not familiar with this terminology in John's writings, what the world means is it basically means those who choose not to follow Jesus In contrast with believers or brothers and sisters or beloved, John sometimes uses, that those are the people that do choose to put their trust in Jesus Christ and to follow him. I bet we have both in the room this morning, and that's all right. Whether you would say, hey, I'm in that camp that chooses to follow Jesus, then we're glad that you're here. And if someone's in the room and you say, well, I'm not sure I'm in that camp, uh, we're glad you're here too. John says that there's going to be a divide between those groups of people. uh, Those who have chosen to follow Jesus and those who have not. And he says, don't be shocked by that. And yet I feel personally, sometimes very surprised... When I encounter people and we start to have a conversation and they they find out I'm a follower of Jesus, or maybe they don't know I'm a follower of Jesus and I just overhear the conversation. Uh, I remember, so some of you know that, that I, I do some work bivocationally, which means I work here at the church, but I also have some other jobs that I do, and I do learning and development seminars at different companies. And I remember I was sitting at a company once, and we did a morning session at this company. And then we were all having lunch at this big table. And there was probably 30 people around the table. And then we were going to go back for an afternoon session. And while we're sitting at the table, a topic comes up. And I've been racking my brain to try to remember what the topic was. I don't remember which controversial topic it was in our day. There are many. But someone brought up a topic. And someone at the table said, you know what the real problem is? It's the churches that are teaching. And then they said something that I agree with. And everyone in the table, it wasn't just, um, you know, nodding of heads agreement. There was anger. People were angry about this. And I sat there and I was, I was legitimately a bit surprised. And I don't know if you've experienced that. Maybe it's a family member that gets very angry about Christians, or maybe it's your neighbor, someone you work with, but it can be a bit surprising, even though we see it coming. And I think, if I'm being quite honest, I think it's even more surprising for those of us that have grown up in in this particular culture. I think I meet friends from around the world. They, they, they've, their whole life, they've experienced that the world hates Christians. And so this idea is much less surprising to them. But for those of us that have grown up in this culture, it can be a bit surprising as our world continues to walk away from traditional Christian ethics and teaching. It can be a bit surprising how much hatred there can be towards believers in Jesus Christ. And John says, you ought not to be shocked by that. You ought not to be surprised by that. But then John goes throughout his writing, and he tells us why we shouldn't be shocked, and even more importantly, what we should do about it. There are all sorts of reactions in our culture right now to the fact that there is a divide between believers in Jesus Christ and the world at large around us. And people feel that divide, and there are all sorts of reactions from the Christian side as to how we should deal with that. In fact, how we should overcome what John says is the hatred of the world towards believers. And I think John makes it very clear in his writings, very clear in First John, and even more clear if we pull from some of his other books what we're supposed to do. Let me say briefly that John, when you, when you read John's writings, John is less of a, a, linear, uh, a linear writer. Paul, the Apostle Paul, if you're familiar with his books, very linear often in the way that he makes arguments, in the way that he writes. John is much more sli- cyclical. So there are themes that come up. God is love. God is light, and those themes, he'll talk about it for a few verses, he'll talk about an application, he'll, he'll come back to it, and so there's this sort of rolling pattern. John is very poetic in the way that he writes, and so this idea that we ought not to be shocked by this, and, and the reason why there's this divide, and what we should do about it, in order to come to a complete answer of that, we have to look at some multiple places where John talks about this in his writings, which is why we're not parking ourselves in one text uh, the way that we often do. So why are we so different than the world? You call yourself a a believer in Jesus Christ. Why are you different than the world? I was thinking about that. And I think that for many of us, we might say, well, I have a different morality than the world. I I think that certain things are moral and certain things are immoral, that God has said certain things are moral and God has said certain things are immoral. So what separates Uh, believers from the world around them is their morality, their code of ethics. Some of us may say it's our theology, it's our belief in who God is that separates us from the world. Uh, Some of us may say that that, uh, it's our philosophy, as to the meaning of life and the purpose of life and how you find satisfaction, that all of those things, that's what really separates us from the world around us. John actually says it's something deeper that informs all of those things. And it's actually much more simple, I think, than what we often make it. John says the reason you're different than the world, if you call yourself a Christian or a believer, the reason you're different is because you've experienced a love from outside of this world. That's why you're different. The reason you're different as a believer, as a Christian, from the world around you is because you've experienced a love from outside this world. In fact, John says it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says it this way. If you look, just move up a little bit, a few verses. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. And some of your texts may say the kind of love that the Father has lavished onto us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Let's just stay there for one moment. One of the things that, that I just want to point out in the first part of, of this verse are those words that are translated, what kind, or maybe your text has translated them, what matter, or something along those lines. So some texts say, see what kind of love. Some say, see what matter of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. The Greek word that's translated, what kind, is, is a word that's, that is a potapin, is the word. And that word, if we were to translate it literally, would translate to the phrase, of what country? And if you look at ancient Greek writing, just stick with me for one moment. Some of you, you love this stuff, and others of you, I can see your eyes are glazing over. So just stick with me for one second, all right? This would be used in ancient Greek writing uh, to talk about uh, people that were on the coastline, and they could see a ship coming with markings that they didn't recognize, and they would say, they would use the word Potipin to say, of what country is this vessel? Of where is this coming from? This is not something that we notice. This is not something we recognize. And often this, this word in our English scripture gets translated into what kind, what matter, because it would be awkward to say, see of what country of the love of the Father has given to us. It would be hard to explain but that the, the indication that John is making is that the love that is coming from the Father is unlike any other love that you would experience in the world around you. This is very different. It comes from another place. It comes from another context. It comes from another place. And that's the love that the Father has lavished onto us, that we, sinners who have turned our backs on God, might be called His children. That is an amazing truth in Scripture that we ought never to feel comfortable with. Like David said in the song, like who am I, God, that you would know my name? In the second half of that verse, John says this. The reason why, this is really important, I think. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. The reason why the world does not know us Is that it does not know Him. I think sometimes as believers and Christians, we get quite frustrated, even angry with the world around us, that they don't live the way God tells us to live. We're very frustrated about that. But John's saying, Of course they don't. Because the reason you live like that is because you've experienced the love of the Father that comes from somewhere else. Why would someone behave like they've experienced that love if they have not experienced that love? The reason the world doesn't know you, the reason the world doesn't know me, is not because they don't know how to behave or they don't know how to think. It's because they haven't experienced the love of the Father. They don't know the Father. And so don't be surprised, John says, when there's this divide between you and the world. And don't expect that they would start to act like you act because they don't know the love of the Father that you know. I said this many times. One of the things I love about Mount Hope is that in the room there's people from many different countries and we come together in this tiny building uh, in Belmont here, and and we worship together, and we and we love each other, and I love that about our fellowship. But sometimes it creates some some uh, awkward moments because we come from different places. I told, I, I shared a, a few weeks ago that in May I was in Dallas very quickly, and I met up with with. Um, Lester and Joe Samuel, who attended this church for about four or five years, and then work took them from Boston to Dallas. And uh, when they came to Boston, they had just moved. Uh, from southern India to Boston. And it was a big transition for Lester and Joe. And they were very open about that to move from, from India to Boston and try to figure out all the culture changes and everything. And we were laughing when we were in Dallas. Uh, they, said, they said, do you remember when we asked you, to bless, you, we asked you to bless our car and you had no idea what we were talking about? And I said, oh yeah, I remember. Because they brought their car to my house. And, uh, and we were having, a, we were having a, a, a get-together. What's that? What was it? A cookout. We were having a cookout. I knew my wife would remember. She's amazing, if you remember earlier. <laughs> uh, we were having a cookout. And, and so Lester and Joe were invited, and they were there, and they brought their car, and they said, hey, pastor, before we leave, we just got a brand new car. Can you come bless the car? And I didn't... I really grow up in a culture where we did this. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Um, And and in their culture and growing up, this is just normal. Like you would ask the pastor to bless the car, bless, bless the house. And I know that like culturally, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And they took me outside and I was looking at this brand new BMW SUV. And I thought to myself, this car is about as blessed as a car can be. Like I don't know how anything I say is going to make this car more blessed than it than it already is. And and we we kind of stood there and, and they were like, they were like, you just you just pray. I'm like, okay, and I pray, right? And so we were in Dallas just a couple of months ago laughing about that. But I don't know, I don't know what it's like to grow up in southern India. They don't really know what it's like to grow up in Omaha, Nebraska. You don't even know what it's like to grow up in <laughs> Omaha. And so we ought not to be surprised then that there's differences there because we don't have the same experience. Now, on a much larger level, no matter where we come from in the world, All of us who call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are all connected by the reality that we have experienced love from another place, another world, another country that the Father has so generously lavished upon us that we might be called children of God. And that unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ought not to be surprised that the people that have not experienced that love live life differently than we do. Don't be shocked, John says going to happen. But what do you do about it? Now this is where John's going to say something that you may not agree with. And I had to go back over and over preparing for this message and working with Pastor Rick, who's preaching in Burlington this morning and saying, is John, is this really what John's saying? Is he saying more than this? Is he saying less than this? What is John saying? John says throughout his writing that the proper response to the world's hatred of you is to love each other the way the Father loves you. That's the response. John says the proper response is that when we feel the world's hatred, That we should love each other the way the Father has loved us. And he says it in 1 John chapter 3. We're sticking in chapter 3 here, verses 16 through 18. He says it actually a number of times in this this chapter. But I I chose these verses um, because I think he says it fairly succinctly here. By this we know love. That he, that's, you know, Jesus... "...lay down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, fellow believers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth." John's saying, you really want to introduce the world to the love of the Father? Love each other in such a way that the world takes notice. Love each other in such a way that the world looks at how brothers and sisters in Christ love each other and treat each other and care for each other and says, that's what we've been looking for all along. Where did you learn to do that? Where did you learn to love so unselfishly and give so generously and be so welcoming? Even as you're correcting each other. And even as you're holding each other accountable, where did you learn to have community like this? And we would say, well, it's not not like something that we thought up. We've experienced the love of the Father. And if you want to join the community, you can experience the love of the Father. Just as that's the way it's supposed to work. And I think part of the reason that John is making this so clear to the early believers is because John was there when Jesus made this so clear to his disciples. And John records it in John chapter 13, where at the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, John writes that Jesus showed his followers the full extent of his love. He didn't show the full extent of his love by giving them money, He didn't give him gift cards. He showed the full extent of his love. Many of you that are familiar with your Bibles know this story. By putting a towel around his waist and leaning down and doing the dirty, mediocre tasks of washing the disciples dirty, dusty And after he did that, he looked at his disciples and John heard these words. And he said in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Now, I'm going to make one final point this morning. And I'm going to say something because when I was just in worship, I felt God saying something to me. I have some strong opinions on current Christian culture and how this all plays out. But what I want to do as your pastor this morning is is preach the text and not my opinions. I bet you have some strong opinions, this last little piece that we're going to get into, many of you. My prayer is that we'll all listen to the text and what God might say to us. Because the last thing I see John saying to us when it comes to the divide between us and the world Because I think many of us would look at this idea of loving each other, and that being the thing that closes the divide and overcomes the world. It feels very pie in the sky. It feels very flowery. It feels very weak. It feels like we're not taking enough action. If there's all these things happening in the world, and some things are dangerous, and ideas are infiltrating schools, and they're infiltrating our, our children, and, they're, and all of these sorts of things. And to just you know, retreat from that and say, no, if we just love one another, people will see that love, they'll want to know about the love of the Father, and that's just, that's just what we have to do. It feels very passive and very weak. It feels passive and weak to me, too. And yet I can't get away from the text, and I can't get away from the New Testament, In which over and over again, that's exactly what we're called to do. And the last thing that I see John saying in his writing on this topic is this point. John says something like, your job as a follower of Jesus Christ is not to overcome the world yourself. Your job is to have faith in the one who already has. And this is a really difficult thing. Because it feels like we should fight back so often. But our job, John says, as followers in Jesus Christ, is not to to somehow come up with the energy and the strength and the power to band together and overpower the world around us. Our job is to have faith in the one who already has. Look at what John says in chapter 5 of 1 John, verses 4 and 5. This is what he says. He says, Everyone who has been born of God, that's you if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John says right here in this this passage, what is it that brings about victory your faith. That's what brings about victory. Many times I think as Christians, we feel the pressure to overcome the world around us. We've got to stop it. We've got to fight back. We've got to make it go away. How dare they? And yet John says something different here he says love one another the way the father has loved you and have faith in the one who's already overcome the world you know jesus said something similar in john chapter 16 verse 33 these are words that john heard jesus say he said i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world don't be surprised jesus says In the world, you're going to have tribulation. In the world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. Take heart. And band together. And fight the power. That's not what he says. Just take heart. I have overcome the world. Rest in that confidence, Jesus says. You are going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, and when you live in that confidence, this is what I hear. If I put it all together, what I hear the text saying, what I hear John saying, what I hear Jesus saying, is when we live in that sort of confidence, that Jesus has already overcome the world, and not only do we look at John chapter 16, but we look at another book that John wrote, which we talked about a few weeks ago in our Story of Scripture series. We look toward the book of Revelation, and we know that at the end, God wins. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, no matter what happens in the world today, no matter what happens in the world around us, God wins. And you can live in that absolute confidence no matter what happens in the world around you. And that confidence frees us up to love each other with a radical love so that the world might take notice, so that our children might take notice of how we love each other. So that others, our coworkers, and our neighbors, and our friends, and our family members that don't believe might take notice, and they might say something like, that's what we've been looking for the whole time. Where do you get it? And we say, well, it's not something we've created. We've experienced the love of the Father. By the way, you can experience the love of the Father too. That's how John says we overcome the world. That's how the text says we overcome the world. But it's really hard. Because when it feels like the world is winning, it gets scary. When you're sending your kids to school and things are being taught that you just never thought you'd have to deal with, with your kids being in school, it's a scary thing. But what we ought to be reminded of in this text is that our action as Christians is never to be out of fear. We're on the winning side. Our action is out of confidence. What happens when we act out of fear is that we actually end up doing the opposite of what God calls us to do. I'm going, to say, I'm going to say something that, that I don't know how it's going to be received, but I'm, I, I've gone back and forth on it, but we ought to pay attention when things are said on December 19th, 2021, son of a former president gets up at a convention of young people and says these words. We tried turning the other cheek, and it doesn't work. So we need a new strategy. That person is supposed to be, supposedly, representing the conservative Christian perspective. And says things like, We tried following what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Didn't work. And as believers, we can easily be led into fear. Say, no, we we need to take action. I don't see it in the New Testament, the way we live it out. We got a letter this week at the church. It has a lot of highlights, a lot of pictures, a lot of notes. It was sent from across the country, and someone's clearly paying attention to things that are happening in Massachusetts because there's a lot of things that are referenced here. And it talks a lot about how we need to band together to end all this terrible stuff. Here's the thing. I agree with a lot of what's being said here. I agree with the position. I agree that what the world is teaching is not what God teaches. But why is this sent to the church? It's sent to the church to incite fear so that we would band together and act a certain way as a voting block, as a... a, as a way to to enact change in our culture. And my only question about this is does this reflect what we've just heard John saying? When John says, you want to know if you've overcome the world? you know how you overcome the world? You overcome the world by your faith. And the way that you show that and the way that you, you demonstrate that to the world is you love each other in such a radical way that people see in a very real way the love of the Father that you've experienced. And I'm really not trying to put anyone down here, but I am asking us to think about this. I have to think about it too. In all my reactions and how I I think and how I preach and how I act, do I really believe what the New Testament is saying? That if we love each other in this radical way, we will see what happens. Because if I want a Christian culture around me, what the text says is I need more people who have experienced the love of the Father. So how do I help them experience the love of the Father? That's the question. And how do I as an individual believer not live out of fear but live out of confidence in who Jesus Christ is? It's a challenging call that is not easy to live out. And I'm not pretending that it is. But I'm asking that you in your heart pray and ask the Lord to lead you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back forward as we close our service out today. Some of you may notice that I'm, I'm preaching in sneakers this morning. And some of you thought, oh, Pastor Brian has himself gone to the world uh, because he has sneakers on. But I actually wore them for a different purpose. You see this symbol here? This one right here? What do you, what words do you think of? What's that? Just do it. Who else? What else? There's something else. Nike, just do it, right? I want to, I want to reinterpret this a little bit if I can, because this is a symbol that you see a lot. Um, in full disclosure, I, I, I thought of this last night and I typed it into the sermon document. And I asked Pastor Rick this morning at like seven in the morning, I said, What do you think about that thing that that I typed about the shoes and the Nike symbol? He said, I thought it was so good. I'm preaching in Nike sneakers this morning. And then I had to call Lori because I was already on the way here. I'm like, you better bring me some Nike sneakers. I can't be outdone. That verse, John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You already have victory through Christ. And this is the victory that has overcome the word, world, our faith. Do you know what the Greek word it is in your Bible for victory? It's Nike. It's the Greek word that is translated victory in this verse in your Bible. So this is what I want us to do. Every time you see this symbol this week. I don't want you to think just do it. I don't want you to think of sweaty athletes. I don't even want you to think of Michael Jordan. Or LeBron James or whoever else you think of. I want you to think of Jesus Christ. And that this word, Nike, has a long history. And John uses this word to talk about the victory that you have and that I have over the world around us through Jesus Christ, and let that be the determining factor in how you live your life in this world, that you would live in confidence out of that victory, not in fear of what the world might do to us, because as John says, that your job as a follower of Jesus Christ, that my job as a follower of Jesus Christ, our job as a community, is not to figure out a way how in our own power and strength we can overcome the world, but to have faith in the one who already has I'd ask you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes. I don't know if you feel it or not. I felt in preparing this message, this is a really challenging word. and Yeah, I might have intentionally pushed some buttons this morning, but... I feel like those are the buttons that are getting pushed in my life as I study the text. To say, okay, God, is my reaction to the world around me out of confidence in who you are? Confidence in who Christ is? Confidence in the fact that the victory's already won? Or am I, am I reacting out of fear? Like we're losing. And I got to do something about it. Because John and Jesus, they don't tell us to act as if we're losing. They tell us to act out of the confidence that Christ has already won. And I've been asking myself this week, as I look at the world around me, am I more upset and surprised at how different we are, or does my heart break that the people around me have not experienced the love of the Father? Does your heart break? Or are we just fearful and angry? And for those who are sitting in the room here and you've never experienced the love of the Father, I want you to know this morning that there is a God who created you and loves you beyond anything that you could even imagine. It is a love that is so deep and so wide that it's not even of this earth. And it is offered to you through Jesus Christ. And if you want to experience that love in your life to begin to experience it, all you have to do is start a conversation with God, God in your own heart and in your own mind. And if you want to learn more about that, you can see myself or Andrew after the service. But you just start and you say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong that I've done. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. And I ask that you would forgive me and allow me to experience your love. And you can start that relationship with him. God, I pray that you will help us in a world that seems to continue to walk away from you, to act and react the way you call us to. God, help us as a community right here in this place to be the kind of church that loves each other with the kind of radical, otherworldly love that you've given to us. So that people around us might see and might come to know you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.